dresses with blue satin sashes Snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes Silver white winters that melt into spring These are a few of my favorite things Now listen up Welcome back to the Festivus series Where we cover all of your favorite Christmas movies Including Jingle All the Way Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 4, Lethal Weapon, and more. Tune in all holiday season to listen to your favorite movies covered on Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coldsploitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? We're back with another holiday episode of the with the Festivus series. We've been doing the Festivus series for two years now, and this is like the fourth episode that we've done in, or in this year in the Festivus series. Um, hopefully you caught last week's episode on the Santa Claus 2. Had a great time doing that one. Oh, marvelous. Magnificent film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, we also watched, we, so we did the, the backwards sort of, we did the Santa Claus 2 for the podcast, and then we watched the Santa Claus as our drinking game. With our friends for Christmas this year. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was different because we normally do Christmas with the Cranks. And this is the first time we've ever done the Santa Claus. And uh, it worked out. It worked out pretty well. Uh, we had a lot more rules in this one than we did. Like, more unique rules than we did in uh, Christmas with the Cranks. In Christmas with the Cranks, we basically just do, like, Luther, when they say Frosty, when they say Christmas. Shit like that. And it's, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of them, for sure. But it's not super, like, you know creative the santa claus uh rule for this one were pretty creative like when bernard is kvetching which we got online um when uh scott calvin has said yep scott calvin has said which isn't as much as you might think i mean it does happen you have to say the full name um when uh scott is worried or uh, gets another uh, Santa Claus characteristic to him. Anytime Charlie's being whiny or yep. pouty, which that rule is the one that will destroy you. Mm. There's quite a few instances. You have to really come up with, uh, you know, whether you're going to count in the same scene of him just like being whiny, 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 whiny every single time you switch back to him in a shot, or if you're just going to like take one scene and then run with it. But it was a lot of fun. Had a, had a good time. Got toasty. So that's all that matters in a drinking game. Yeah. Um, for this week's episode, we probably could have done a drinking game for it as well. Uh, we pro- it's pretty easy to make one up, I, I think. I'm sure there's plenty. I'm sure there's a bunch out there. But uh, this time we're talking about probably the one of the most Christmassy movies that we've done this, uh, this Festivus series, uh, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> now, Lethal Weapon sort of sits in that um, is it or isn't it a Christmas movie uh, zone like Die Hard. I think it's more Christmassy than Die Hard. We've seen uh, people arguing for that, that Lethal Weapon is actually the superior action Christmas movie. Um, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that at least Die Hard has the atmosphere a little bit better down because Lethal Weapon takes place in L.A. And So does. Yes, it does, but Nakatomi Plaza is all decked out. And if when you don't really leave Nakatomi Plaza – you actually see a lot of the Christmas decorations throughout. So it's you're sort of constantly being barraged with like the atmosphere of Christmas. In Lethal Weapon, it's here and there, sporadic. 
but I don't know that the the decorations and the the actual Christmas presents is as um, uh, present as in Die Hard. Well, I think a uh, general rule should be uh, for Hollywood: don't make your uh, movie that's supposed to be pl- taking place around Christmas in L.A. It's a big pet peeve of mine for sure. Um, Right away, if you're making a Christmas movie and it's taking place in L.A., the most quintessential element is sort of, like, lost. You know, because every, most people, even if you're watching a Christmas movie uh, that was shot in L.A., are they're expecting snow in it. And when you don't deliver the snow, the magical element of snow, you really lose part of the Christmas charm of your film. Right. I think that's a problem. Nice 80-degree December day, and Tom Atkins is like, Igna. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, this doesn't really have the atmosphere, uh, especially like in the actual outer elements, because the film takes place quite a bit in the outside. And um, one of the funny things is that, yeah, it does look very warm out. Uh, A pool is even open at one point in this film. No, it's not open. It's not open, I guess, but it's it's still, it's not like it's shut down completely. It just basically has a cover on it. I was just saying, it's never cold in L.A. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's like, you know, when you see people from Florida come up here, it's like 60 degrees, and they got the park, because it's freezing outside, or like, you know, like sandals and, you know. But in this one, I'm like, this is great. You constantly see, like, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover wearing jackets, like, heavy jackets. And it's pretty clearly not that cold outside. I think they were trying to get across that, like, hey, it's Christmas time. It's December. Uh, but it's kind of hard to sell that when you're in L.A. And pretty much everybody's, like, out on the street just, like, in their skirts, T-shirts. It's not that cold. I do think it's a problem. You know, and in some ways, like, maybe certain films can get away with the having an L.A. or a warmer climate setting because... They're not really meaning to get across that Christmas aspect to it. But when you say, like, wh- why set Lethal Weapon during Christmas if you're not really trying to sell the Christmas aspect of the film? That's that's my uh, my pet peeve with any film that takes place in, like, a warmer climate and you're eliminating the snow from your Christmas movie. Think about Jack Frost. <laughs> that wouldn't have occurred in L.A. Michael Keaton would never have had to come back from Michael, dead. Because Michael... Because Michael Keaton was only good enough to play in bars. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like 70 years old and I'm a big star playing, you know, some fucking podunk town doing a bar show. Can't wait. Gotta miss seeing my kid. It's because he's basically the Bruce Springsteen of Jack Frost and he's like the working class man. He's like, I play for all the, you know, everybody. People can't afford a stadium tour. I play for them, too. Yeah, but guess what? Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I know. Does stadium tours. Does stadium tours. And he's on fucking Broadway now. Yeah, to pay big money to get lucky enough to have him slide across the stage and put his crotch in your face. When you mentioned uh, uh, liking his songs say at the mall, uh, his Christmas songs, all I could think about was, uh, and we were talking about the Super Bowl halftime shows and how nobody wants to play with Maroon 5. I, just, I was just thinking of him like, you couldn't put the finger finger down! <laughs> He slides, you know, slides yeah. across the stage as 10th Avenue frees out, starts playing good times. That's you know? exactly what I was thinking of when I was thinking about him putting a crotch, his crotch in your face. Yeah. That's what he does. He, what he does. slides across the stage and he hits the camera right with his nuts. Boom. He pegs him. Well, uh, I'll, we, we'll end this introduction by just talking a little bit about Lethal Weapon. Um, been a long time since I've seen Lethal Weapon. Probably, like... Over a decade since I've seen Lethal Weapon. 
Um, don't really revisit it. It's not one of those movies that like I watch for the holidays. Um, and honestly, I can't remember two and three, and only a little bit of four. Now, point I'm going to bring up because I'm in the same boat. And generally, we shouldn't do comparisons on the show, but I want to do comparisons on the show with Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Why is this not as much remembered and loved as Die Hard? I mean, a lot of people love the Lethal Weapon franchise, yeah, and you know, know, know some of the things. But why is it not at least you know right, like as popular as mentioned often as Die Hard? Yeah, it's mm. a good question. I really. And as we kind of like go through, you know, do, we'll try to break it down and a do some bit. and do some comparisons. I, you know, yeah, be interesting to take a look at and see mm-hmm. why is Die Hard been so proliferative in pop culture. Lethal, I mean, Lethal Weapon has in its own way, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, <clears throat> I think that it does pale in comparison, like when it comes up in popular conversation. Lethal Weapon's not really the one that they yeah, go well, to. Well, most, fucking every, Die Hard. Well, yeah, for like for every year for the past like. Seven years now, everyone's like, Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just like, oh. why? And why is everybody skipping over Lethal Weapon? Came first. You know, it was before Die Hard. No. That's true. That's true. 1987. Um, yeah, so it's weird, though. Yeah, I have not seen this movie very often. Um, I just remember it's, you know, like I said, I remember kind of like the kind of pop cultural references. Mm-hmm. I know it stars Mel Gibson and uh, Danny Glover. I know. I didn't know Gary Busey was in it. I do remember Joe Pesci being in the second one. And I remember, um, you know, it had something to do with Eric Clapton, you know, Eric Clapton working with some of the music. Uh, that's, you know. But for the most part, like, a lot of the beats to the movie, no, don't remember like yeah. I do with Die Hard. No, I don't. I didn't remember much of it at all. And, and even revisiting it and, and watching it again, I really, nothing really stood out to me as being something that I remembered from this film. Um,. So I really had no, like, pre-existing nostalgia for this film going into it. Going in as a blank slate. Yeah, basically. It's like watching it all over again for the first time, because I really didn't remember much of it at all. I, it's been, and I was probably not that old when I saw it the first time anyway, so um, nothing and really. it's strange that... I haven't seen it a billion times, because TBS used to play all of the movies, yeah. on, like, dinner and a movie, all the fucking time, you know, yeah. like. This is one of your movies you're getting. And now we return to the uh, thrilling conclusion of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Yeah, they did used to do that a lot. I think they played the uh, sequels more than anything, but... Oh, yeah. Cheaper to get. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just about every film. I think the only one that it's a little might be a little hard to get the sequel is... Uh, with Star Wars getting Empire compared to, you know, New Hope. True. And, true. you know, for Godfather, it might be a little hard to get Godfather for her, too. Mm. But... Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, before we get into the film itself, do you want to go into our beer talk? Because we're actually not drinking beer right now because we already did that earlier in the day. Because we went to the mall today, we hit up World of Beer at eleven forty-five, <laughs> and we did some day drinking today. Well, uh, we'd still be day drinking if we were drinking now. That's yeah, yeah. I actually got super sleepy, wait, no, sleepy wait. after my beer. Wait, no, it's five o'clock. <laughs> I uh, I got super sleepy after my beer, so I haven't really had. Anything else? Yeah. I've just been wanting water. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we did we did hit up some new stuff. Um, I had today the Sly Fox Orange Slice Nitro IPA, which I thought was it sounded pretty interesting, um, mostly because it was a Nitro IPA. They're not very 
they're not super common. Um, and I thought this one was an interesting beer. However, it does tend to run, or at least the, the draft that I had, uh, was on the flat side. Uh, that could be because it is a nitro beer. Uh, I don't know that that's always the case. And, and from my experience having nitro IPAs, uh, they're not generally as flat as this one was. So I'm not sure if it was an issue with the actual keg itself or how it was poured or um, or the beer. But whatever the case, that was a little bit too flat for my taste. Um, even though the actual substance to the IPA was very, very creamy. Um Incredibly creamy, actually, for the nitro stout. Uh, and the, the orange flavors do really come out in this IPA as well. Um, but I just ultimately was wishing for something that had a little bit more um, carbonation to it and something that um, didn't really like it kind of tastes like if you've ever had like a green IPA before it's been completely carbonated. Uh, that's kind of what this tasted like. So I really wished for some more carbonation to this besides the nitro, uh, aspect to it. Uh, and that would have made it, made it like a really great beer with an intense orange flavor to it. The other one that I had was, uh, we talked about this on the show last time when we had the 21st amendment, uh, IPA on here. Um, I had the fireside chat from 21st amendment, which is a winter warmer ale. And, um, I thought it was pretty good, nice and spicy, uh, heavy, um, nice malting body to it, um, and pretty smooth as well. The only thing is, is that if you've had a winter ale, this is like very standard, uh, winter ale style. Um, nothing really different about it. It pretty much tastes like any other winter ale that you've had. And, um, I've had quite a few recently, so I wasn't like super wowed by it, but I thought it was a really good interpretation of, you know, that style of beer. So I would say that I had two fairly successful pints today that I thought were, were all right. Um, I probably, I don't know if I'd go back to the orange slice, but the fireside chat, I would definitely do again when I'm in the mood for a winter warmer. And what did you have, Martin? Well, um, I'm not even going to really try to pronounce uh, the first beer I had. Yeah, I believe it's called uh, Kapuziner Hefe. Which is uh, made by... Uh, Kulmbacher Brauerei, yeah. which is basically Kulmbacher Brewery. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. I can read the Deutsch, I can't speak the Deutsch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't want to mispronounce it and upset my ancestors. <laughs> um, but yeah, because over the past like year, I've had a, you know, change, change my tune on Hefeweizen. So it used to be something I didn't like. There's only a couple that I had. One was by Sam Adams, and Sam Adams, you're on my shit list for quite a while now. Um, not because of their their coastal wheat hefeweizen sucked balls, but it did. But I mean, they're on my shit list just because they're doing constantly doing stupid shit, and that's besides the point. But anywho, I've had a, originally had a couple of bad hefeweizens for the longest time. Didn't go near them because I thought they were too banana-y. And you know, over the past year, I've gotten to have a bunch of different ones, like Hoffenbrau, this. And I'm like, I love them. They're so delightful and fruity and effervescent. Mm. You know, it's great. It's like I'm just, you know. So I decided I wanted to try this because um, wasn't really feeling an IPA at the moment. I wanted something different. And to be honest with you, when you're at World of Beer, for the most part, as I was going like going down the beer list, I was like, nothing's really. I don't want a fucking strong ale at eleven o'clock, and right. you know. Oh, I had this victory, you know, like they had victory double strong ale. 
that's probably good, but no thank you. Yeah. So I wanted something light and refreshing. So I got the Kapuziner Hefeweizen. I liked it. It's good. It was crisp. It was refreshing. It was light. Problem was, instead of having like a like a kind of a citrusy clove taste, it was more banana-y. Wasn't too bad. Still, I still don't really care for it. So it was, I did appreciate it more than I would have years ago. And I liked it. I would get it again and drink it, but I still don't care for my Hefeweizen to be more banana in its taste. I, you know, prefer to not have that aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one I had was, um, I just said, decided to say fuck it and get an IPA after that one. And I got Brown's uh, Brewery's uh, Bikes Nipa. Um, first thing I said as soon as I drank some of it and had just like a bit of the foam, I'm like, it tastes like a New England IPA. It's, you know, that got that hazy look and that hazy golden citrus taste. It's, it's a Nipo, all right? I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't really feel like breaking down like the hop notes. It's, by this point with all the Nipos that we've kind of starting to cover on here, because it's a really big popular IPA uh, style. Of late, it is Nipa, and there wasn't anything that stood out to you about it. No, I wouldn't. I mean, maybe if I, it was the only Nipa, and I really, really wanted a Nipa at a, a, bar, a restaurant or bar, and that's all they had. Fine. Other than that, never go out of my way for it again. Mm. So like I said, it's not bad, but it's like it's gen, you know, generic as generic gets. Yeah. For that that style, so. So yeah. We had uh, four different beers that we could uh, cover on here today, and uh, I think probably next time we'll do the New Belgium, which I, the pack that I got, um, which I'm excited for, yeah, because that has a white IPA in it. Yeah, and I have nobody does a white IPA anymore. Hell, and- originally Saranac was the only one to do it, and it was brilliant. Is first when they started the whole let's do an IPA for every fucking color in the spectrum, and they like started with like red, black, and white, and. They were one of the first to do the white, and they got rid of it. And no one else does it, so. Be interesting to check it out and see what, how they do that one. Which, if for those who don't know, white IPA is taking uh, Belgian wheat style and combining it with an IPA. Um, it's good. Which you might say, sounds like a Nipa, you know, because it had the hazy. It does have that hazy color, but it's more focused on the orange and coriander parts of like a wheat ale. Mm-hmm. And getting that weed ale look and that unfiltered look and with the hop balance with that. Yeah. And then I just remember being there. So I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited to try that. It's the first time I've ever seen that winter pack out before. So hopefully it's good. Yeah. We'll do that next time. I haven't really had a beer from New Belgium that I haven't liked. Yeah. That's true. And they, they do do a, ex- a lot of experiments too with like different types of beers. They put Sometimes they put out like Abbey Ales quads. Stuff like that. Well, they should. They're, it's in the name. Belgium. Yep. So, interesting to try that. We'll probably have that for, for next week's episode. You want to go right into Lethal Weapon? Get right into it? Nitty gritty on this one? Um, so, Lethal Weapon uh, is probably, you know, like you said, it's not really uh, expanded much into pop culture. But the references have. So, uh, one of the most uh, prominent references to Lethal Weapon... That has stuck out not only in this film, but that has set, then migrated <coughs> into other films. And uh, by the way, Martin is still sick, so oh, yeah. he's still got that nasty cough. 
Um, the the phrase that has migrated out of this film into other things is "I'm too old for this shit" from Danny Glover. From Danny Glover. And uh, one thing we must point out is that in this film, Danny Glover was really not, not that old. He's he, forty two. Yeah, something. But he's fifty in the movie. Uh, yeah, he was. I wonder. That's kind of a slap in the face. So like, Danny. You're going to play a 50-year-old in this movie. You look 50. Eight years older than you look. Well, not only that. Eight years older than you are. And they're, like, talking about, like, yeah, back in Vietnam. And it's like, when was he in Vietnam? Like, right when the war started? Yeah. And even still, he's, like, up to, like, 25 years old and 65 heading off to Nam, you know? Poor, poor Danny Glover in this film. It's just, not only does he have to pretend like he's an old man. But he also doesn't get any of the really cool scenes because he is supposed to be old. Yeah. So he doesn't like get to do any of the cool stuff that Mel Gibson actually gets to do in this film. That young plucky yeah, upstart. Yeah, exactly. Suicidal uh, Mel Gibson gets to do. So I just wanted to start off by saying, yeah, Danny Glover's actually not that old in this film. And uh, I think they I think they made him keep the mustache for that reason. Makes him look a little bit older. And they graded up his yeah. hair a little bit. Yeah. Makes him look a little older. Uh, the Lethal Weapon is one of those movies that has like a super vague premise to it. Even though that premise sort of carries throughout the film and it doesn't really change that much, the premise of it, it just is very, very vague. Blink and you'll miss it, a lot of the main plot beats with like what's going on with like the villains. One of the things that I love about the film because it's so generically 80s, is that they get to just blame everything on the war. Most of the time, they don't even mention the war's name. It's just literally like, there's a shadow operation in the war. And that's it. That's like, the, you can blame it, blame everything on the war, and you don't really need to do any more storytelling than that. People are just like, oh, the war! The war. Yeah, the war. The war was awful. The war. Shadow operatives in the war. I love that. Because that's sort of like a... That was an 80s thing where it was like, don't want to expand on the plot at all. Just like give it some vagueness to it and people won't even question it. Or now like, I bet um, for the 80s talking about, you know, war, you know, war veterans and special forces. They're like predator. Mm-hmm. They're all, you know, special, you know, yeah. special forces. Um, Commando, you know, super but, secret operation operation through in the war that was created. No one's ever heard of it before. I want, do you think as someone was saying like when they, you know, they, well, his wife does, men, Dan Glover's wife does mention Vietnam. Like, oh, oh mm-hmm. you know, when he's talking You're about. Vietnam, buddy. Yeah. yeah. But um, it could be like, because it's like, what, Grenada? That, didn't that like take place over two days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the war. Oh, okay. Grenada. Yeah, yeah. Weird. I just love that about Lethal Weapon because it does sort of use the war as the backdrop. It's just like. We don't really need to give any more explanation than there is. The war happened. Bad guys came out of the war. Good guys came out. Good guys came out of the war. Tom Atkins, you know, did something that makes Danny Glover at least owe him to kill some people. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. It's just a a very vague backdrop, and like you said, it's a blink and you miss it sort of thing because the explanation for this whole thing really doesn't come about. You get the first opening thing that sets things in motion. A hooker jumping out of a window uh, after doing snorting some... Which, by the way, apparently not that cold in L.A. She's just standing on top of a, like, 70-story high-rise titties out on, like, the 
guardrail in the middle of the night. You well, know, she's some, hot now because she smokes some, or she uh, stored some coke. some coke, so it's fine. She you know she's not feeling it that much. Numbed, but which I it's, I, I find funny because always all seeing the intro is she snorts some coke and like gonna go free falling for a ride. Why we don't know, and she falls and dies. Mm-hmm. And then later, um, Danny Glover's like. She took when they're like talking about the autopsy report. She took some pills. They were poisoned. So even if she didn't jump, she was gonna die anyway. It's murder. No, it's not. If she ended up killing herself before she was poisoned, technically, no, that's you know, it's true. That's that's just attempt. That's not murder. That's I do know. love that whole setup because that's the, like one that that that's like a really like um like a DA like really trying to reach on a charge like yeah, murder. Mm-hmm. And even from what we see, it's not really like she was con- co- convert coerced into doing anything of this. Like she would basically was just snorted some cocaine, went out on the balcony, took a fall. Was it was calm when she was falling? Like it was not even anything, and that sets pretty much sets in motion the rest of Lethal Weapon because this is the daughter of the prominent. Um, War buddy that, uh... Apparently in some bad doings. Yeah, Roger knows. And one thing that the film never really goes into in detail is, like, all of the connections between the characters. It's very... It's always left very vague. And I'm not saying that an action movie really needs to go into detail about, like, all of the interconnected weavings of, like, bad guys. But if you watch a lot of 80s films... Some of them do have really good plots to them, where underneath, like, the actual action sequences, you do have a nice, like, mysterious weaving of, like, story connections and characters that are darkly related to each other. Like, they've done bad things, and they're connected in some ways. And this film, like, the if you can imagine, like, a diagram of Lethal Weapon, everything is, like, in the middle of that. There's this web that sprawls out. And in the middle, it just says, the war. And that's it. That's basically it. And then over here on the side is like, drugs, heroin, and uh, Greg's father from Darman Greg. <laughs> I thinking the same thing, too. But I, I think that Lethal Weapon, um, we were talking a little bit, comparing it to Die Hard. What's one of the reasons why Lethal Weapon isn't that prominent whereas Die Hard is Die Hard has a pretty fun story to it eh, eh, no. oh you're gonna disagree there I'm gonna disagree cause Die Hard is also very bare bones it is cause a problem that Le- Lethal Weapon suffers from is the exposition bug All, mo- like outside of uh, Murdoch and Riggs's uh we're talking Riggs's uh relationship and as it grows we do get to see that and all mm-hmm. their interaction stuff but a lot of like backstory and stuff that's going on is exposited away so you're talking about the war and how that brings Tom Atkins in and then talking about uh Murtaugh and Riggs's background the war and like their cop and like how I'm old and just want to retire damn it and well, I'm crazy and I'm, you know, suicidal. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of the stuff's exposit. It's the same damn way, though, in Die Hard. Mm. Those, what a lot of people forget, there's a lot of mo- downtime moments where it's nothing but Reginald Day Johnson and Bruce Willis talking 
hammy. Like they stole from Lethal Weapon. Like, True. talk to me. What's going on? Oh, man. If you were in, a lot of shit going on. This was, man, this guy, uh, this uh, Hans Gruber fella. Man, there's a lot of things. Just stay in there and don't, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it, there's right. a lot of the same shit. I mean. I think maybe that. The, the bait, the, uh, let's say the point of Die Hard, like the overall plot's more interesting being locked down in mm-hmm, Plaza. Yeah. But, like, the. Bruce Willis's motivation, the cop antic bullshit, Hans Gruber, you know, and why he's doing it is all bare bones, basic bullshit too. You're right. It's it's the same thing with Lethal Weapon, the drug, you know, CIA drug muling part from the war that you know, led by the special forces that has Gary Busey and blah, blah, blah. all that stuff's bare bones, but it's the stuff that kind of how you get like the action shit that happens around it. That makes it interesting. I think you're you're actually right. You kind of um, swayed me a little bit there. We're, you know, I think Die Hard's actual plot is more interesting. I think Lethal Weapons got like the whole drug mule aspect to it is just very generic to me. Very eighties. Yeah. Um, the die- but instead of like being like Colombian drug lords or something that have to do with Latin America, they're going back to Nam and like Vietnam yeah. and Laos to talk about. You yeah. Know. I mean, that stuff I think is very generic and I think Die Hard does it better in terms of like setting it in one, one area and do, and doing basically a two hour film in one location um, while making it entertaining for the audience to watch. I think that's done better in Die Hard. In Lethal Weapon though, you were right about the character moments because we do at least, it does spend a, quite a bit of time Tracing like what's what's Riggs's motivation here, and and what's you know why is he so upset about things, and and then you also have you know Murdoch, and and it, there's a family aspect to him. Let's well, say hell, Gary Busey is the henchman to Greg's dad from Dharma and Greg. Yeah, and he gets a higher billing on the credits. Yeah, that's true. So I and like he makes you know his character that's not really just a fucking looks like. The combination of Red Grant and Max Zorn from two different Bond from from Russia with Love and um, A View to a Kill. Like, that's what his character is in this. But he, because he's Gary fucking Busey, he's interesting, you know. Mm. Same thing, like Danny Glover, Mel Gibson. Like, the cast in this make this film interesting. One of the main problems I had with Die Hard is great, you know, as Alan Rickman is in Memorables. Hans Gruber, Gruber and um, as, and we talked about it when we reviewed it, and how much I love Reginald A. Johnson, and I can't remember the fucker's name, but from uh, the lieutenant in the movie who's like being the hard ass cop and uh, not listen, but he's you know he's in um, the principal in uh, the Breakfast Club. Yeah, I don't remember his name. Yeah, either, I, but, but like he the, he makes some interesting. Bruce Willis is a fucking anchor, boat anchor in that movie. True. I don't like Bruce Willis and. I don't like him as an actor. I don't think in the Die Hard films, he's very good. You take Alan Rickman out of that movie, even as cool of an idea it is, probably not going to be, you know, mm-hmm. as memorable. Here, though, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson? Fucking great. Yeah, I mean, it does have... So, Lethal Weapon... And you, you you talked about this during... Um, when we were watching it, too. You were saying, you know, is this cliched 80s movie during the time or is it does it just seem like it now because we've gotten so many buddy cop movies and stuff like that going after coming after the fact 
I, I mean, think, it, I think it does take some things that are cliche, but I think yeah. a lot of it is kind of original. Yeah, I think some of it is cliched, and I think like, but I do think we tend to look back on it now and see it as cliched. So the whole setting up in the in the beginning of like setting up the two juxtaposing juxtaposing characters and saying like, oh, you know, look at look at this life for Murdoch, and then look at you know Mel Gibson's character living in a trailer and basically going undercover and constantly just putting literally having a death wish in this film probably more seriously, so of a death wish than in death wish seriously where's bronson yeah they should have gotten bronson imagine like bronson and what well, they be in glover cuz it had it couldn't be young mel gibson cuz bronson's the one with the death wish he's just yeah. you know the old miserable curmudgeon yeah but i mean in this one you actually do get the setup of like look at how different these two are Look how they're not going to get along. Like, you already know that when you see that first initial, you know, back and forth between the two characters. I think it works pretty well. Um, again, I think that they leave, especially for um, Riggs's character, they leave his, like, actual motivation of why he he basically has a death wish, doesn't really care about his life anymore, to the very, very vague characteristic that his wife's dead. And that's pretty much it. Like, his wife's dead. He's upset. That's why he wants to kill himself or and or be killed in the line of duty, being a hero. Um, I think they could have gone a little bit further with that. But at the same time, I just appreciate Mel Gibson going nuts every once in a while in, in Lethal Weapon. Just flying off the handle, uh, doing his little goofy, uh, especially during that the, tr- the scene where he's undercover in the Christmas tree uh, site and he's buying uh, drugs. Christmas drug. as you get. Yeah, exactly. He's buying, he's buying, there's the snow right there. The heroin <laughs> is the snow. And he's buying heroin no, and or, uh, cocaine. And uh, they're like, there'll be a hundred. And he just pull, starts pulling out like twenties. He's in his wallet. Okay. The 20, yeah. And he's counting change like 98, 98. Yeah. <laughs> no, a hundred thousand. It's great. I think that he does, you know, even though, Mel, even though I would argue that like Mel Gibson in this film doesn't, isn't really a great actor. His, um... Demeanor fits yeah, the part. Yeah, his demeanor and, like, his, uh... His devotion to the character works really well and makes it super entertaining to watch him in this movie. Well, he just came off of Mad Max. The three Mad Max films, so he's probably get to actually show some range, because... Yeah, yeah. In Mad Max... You know, what pe- a lot of people forget in Mad Ma- the Mad Max movies, very just... Right. Stoic. And I'm, I'm here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's, like, there's no range to that, and you're right, I mean, this probably was a ch- was something that he kind of jumped at the chance to, like, show, alright, well, I can do something a little bit different. I can, you know, be goofy and crazy when needed. Um, and I think that works. I mean, I feel like some people could probably find his character a little annoying in this movie. Um, and even now, like, watching it now, he seems like a re- really ridiculous character that... While Lethal Weapon pretty much tries to be fairly serious throughout the film. It's not like some of the sequels where they start to get, like, overly ridiculous. This one tries to be pretty serious. And sometimes his character takes that out of the film. And and don't you love how... Well, no, because it's not his fault. The woman doctor at the police station says he's crazy and needs to be pulled out of the light. That's true. And the... Male captain's like, women! <laughs> women opinions! <laughs> yeah. I don't care about women's opinions. I'm I'm putting them in the field anyway. Um, oh, didn't, didn't you love the line, too? Where it's like, I think I am. They're talking about in the 80s, man. Doesn't that Yeah. Mean? And they're like, the guy's like, yeah, last night I was at home in bed and I cried. And Dan Glover's like, were you with a woman? <laughs> he's like, no. 
That's why I cried. And he's like, ha, 80s man you are. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, that is that, was that something? Was that like during the time? Was that like a big conversation? I think that's, no, I think that's just something that happens every decade when like, you're just like, things are changing yeah. that you don't like. And like, like now, like how, like you constantly hear people like, Puh, millennial, this is 2018. You still hear people go, Puh, millennials. And it's like, you do realize most of them are 30 now. Yep. Yeah. We're 30 now. No, you, no, you mean like, whatever comes after, you know, at, after that. Mm-hmm. Gen Z or whatever the hell they're on now. Whatever. Yeah, but I don't know. It's I get you. Just like a sign of the times, changing of the times. Yeah, people getting mad about, baby, it's cold outside. Why do you care? Just move on with your day. Oh, they don't like that song? Oh, oh well. Just shrug your shoulders and move up. But no, no. Um, what, one thing that uh, we really liked about... Lethal Weapon is uh, the constant devotion to Murdoch's daughter, which is sort of creepy throughout the film because they really the film spends a lot of time on that um, Rianne. That's like his sort like teenage. I I think she's supposed to be like eighteen because she says she can drink but she can't smoke weed. So I think at the time she would have been probably eighteen. The no, drugs been, twi- no, it was twenty one by then. By eighty seven. Yeah. Oh, maybe she was. Maybe she, maybe then she no, was. No, it's the months. early eighties. They changed it because um, mm. they um changed it when like my mom turned eighteen. Okay. Because they ch- yeah they. I don't remember exactly when, but my I remember my mom saying when she was eighteen, it was still eighteen, and then they turned it to nineteen. So she was nineteen when that happened, and then when they changed it to twenty one, she was twenty one. So maybe she's twenty one then. So she's a little bit older. I don't know. So maybe it makes it a little less creepy, but it doesn't make it creepy, or it doesn't make it that less creepy when. In the beginning scene, when we meet Murtaugh and he's like, get up for breakfast and drinking his OJ that his wife prepared for him that he doesn't really appreciate because he says his wife's terrible at cooking. And this is, gets, that's just men talk. <laughs> and he gets up and his daughter comes downstairs and she's wearing a nice dress that she's, there's a very low cut dress that she's wearing. She says she's wearing it for New Year's, New Year's Eve. Eve and... It, that wouldn't be bad because you don't have to think that. Like, right. She, yeah, she could just, just be like, like, oh, dad, look, like my New Year's Eve dress? Yeah. But no, they add a sexy, you know, saxophone. Yeah, it's the <laughs> saxophone that's sort of out of place there. Like, um, because, yeah, you might take that scene as him just being like, oh, brother, my daughter's going, she, she shouldn't be wearing this. You know, like the usual dad thing oh. from the 80s. Like, I can't believe my daughter's growing up and wearing these, uh, this. I don't think that's just a dad thing for the 80s. That's going to be a dad. Yeah, it's forever. That's going to be forever. Men yeah. know what men think and want. It's like, yeah. oh, God. Yeah. And then I you know. have that thought of, like, that happening. You're like, oh, God. Yeah, no. That so. that would probably be fine if they just left it at that. But there is that really no, they sexy, added, sexy, yeah, they sex added, line that they put in there. Sound like it's going to break into careless whisper. Like, and the thing about Lethal Weapon is that the sax is all over the place in this movie. It uh, is very sax heavy. Uh, pff, terribly so. It's saxy. <laughs> it's a saxy I'm, movie. I, you know what? I feel like uh, they actually had. It wasn't Clapton and the other guy who did the music for this. It's Kenny G. Yeah. No, Kenny G's would be more. He plays alto, so it's a little bit more higher pitched. This one is more has that brassy sultriness to it. Kenny G is more like what you put on when you want your parents to feel comfortable. And the, oh my <laughs> god, the 
the like the set like like the cues like when things happen in this movie too from the oh they're so cle like cliched cop movie like yeah like hey let's take like how like in the like you know like a noir film like thing and we're, yeah. we're gonna add some guitar to it and like oh now it's like comes off totally as cringeworthy uh cliched like ugh is as you said all this film was missing was Murtaugh. Fucking just like narrating throughout it, like yeah. oh, I'm turning fifty today, and and then you might actually view it as sort of a parody, yeah, or like an homage to a noir film. Yeah, I don't even see the sax and guitar in this as an homage to a noir film. It's more just like what would be really cool, you know, during like fight scenes. Well, no, it's it's weird. It's funny that you say that because again, it's not like that was something that was heavily present in noir films. But when you hear that, what? That like, yeah, it does make you think like just put in black and white and have it constantly raining and like and add the narration over you know yeah because it's not like in the forties when they were doing noir films you were hearing fucking Clapton esque no it wasn't the know. guitar moments but it was more like uh, swelling uh, I don't know or, like orchestral yeah yeah music type music that would cue you into mm. being like oh this is like a sexy scene or, or a piano you know piano yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, and I, I actually kind of think that the sax is ironically pleasing now. Like when you're watching Lethal Weapon, you're like, Man, that's not, kind of fun. Not for me. I do. I, 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 I hate, I hate I'm, saxophones. I like the sax moments, but I actually do. There's a few scenes that have a really good sax and guitar uh, soundtrack to them when the guitar is actually playing a rhythm. Because most of the time in this film. The guitar is just doing like a little sting, like. I mean, it's Clapton. Like I said, but you you said Clapton doesn't use a whammy bar, so. But if there was a whammy bar being used, it was broken by the time that <laughs> the film is over, because they are just sustained notes throughout. But uh, I mean, I I kind of I like it in an ironic way, um, but it's super cheesy. It it really it. I, it has not aged well, and I think part part of that is because of like that just that sort of style has become obsolete at this point. Like you wouldn't put it in your current movie unless you were legitimately trying to make it like cheesy on purpose. Otherwise, you would just be like written off immediately <laughs> as a as a film director or or a, a score producer. But uh, that saxophone is like omnipresent. You said this film. Uh, was nominated for a sound editing... Sound mixing. Sound mixing award. It, yeah, the Academy. And I would argue with that because I feel like the sound mixing is really not that good, actually. Because sometimes the sax is just so overpowering over the sound... The other sound effects that are happening in the film. That, this, that like, the, it's just so overpowering in the, in the mix. I don't know why they would have nominated this one in particular for sound mixing. Because it doesn't seem to me to be that, you know... Impressive. I don't know. Just my thoughts on that. Um, one thing that does have that I think they do a pretty good job with are the um, directing for the action sequences. I think they do a pretty good job with that, especially during the car chase, chase sequence in the desert that looks straight like Seven ripped it for their film uh, in the in the last part, which you mentioned. Um, the actual car chase with the limo and the helicopter is pretty well done. Um, as a practical effect effect for that scene. Yeah. That 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 one is pretty well done. Um and it, and I think that like some of the shooting scenes are pretty good too. 
One that does suffer is that final se- the fight scene in the rain rain slash uh, <laughs> fire hydrant water um, with uh, I guess his name is Joshua, right? Yes. Gary Busey's character is Joshua. Yeah. They always refer to him as just Joshua, like because he look he looks like a man. It's like, hey, Josh, don't call me Josh. I like how Mel Gibson refers to him as that albino guy. <laughs> it's pretty funny. He- Plus, I we do need to talk about this. Why would Ry- would Rianne, I guess her name is, Rianne be super attracted to fucking Gary Busey's character in this? He's an albino-looking weirdo still in this movie. Like, this does not see... And he's and in this film, how old is Gary Busey? Like, 30? Mid-30s? Yeah, mid-30s. I feel like... She, why a, would she be attracted no, to not, this No, dude? not even. He's got. He's like Danny Glover's age because he's... um. I think he's two years older than Danny Glover. Yeah, I mean, I just he was born in 1944, so, I mean, himself, like, yeah, like he would have been 43 years old. So. Doesn't look it. He looks, you know, nice and... Yeah, he. I mean, he does, but I'm just saying, like, why would his daughter be like, uh, first of all, even met this guy, and then be attracted to him besides? It's just not... Like, her type is the rugged Mel Gibson type. Mullet and all. Mullet and yeah, mullet and all. Likes the lion-haired mane. I'm telling you. Going on. I'm telling you, in... Lethal Weapon, he looks just like fucking Christopher Walken is back sword in a view to the kill with the bleach blonde hair slicked yeah. back and the glasses. Yeah. But... You know who I was surprised... It, um, as I was going to say, too, um, going off the directing, I don't know who the second unit director was to do to all those action scenes, but the film overall was directed by Richard Donner, mm-hmm. which, if you don't know, Richard Donner did the original Superman and uh, most of Superman 2 before he got fired. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, pretty, pretty good director, you know, you got. I thought it was interesting um, in that last fight sequence that I was talking about where they had, like, some really, really swift editing for a little while. Like, right at the beginning of the fight scene, it's, like, so fast editing that you can't even see what's happening. And then afterwards, they sort of, like, zoom out to have the full fight. But in that first moment, it was, like, very close-up fighting that occurs in that, which uh, was very... I, I hard thought to follow. Was, yeah disorienting and hard to follow until they which is a tro- out further. Wait, let's say which is a trope that's very popular today when it comes to action sequences to have it focused on so close like what's going on yeah and have like just quick edits and it's like just shoot the goddamn thing you know further away that's why like one of the best scenes is, like atomic bonds like that whole staircase fight sequence yeah because they keep it away and let it go yeah, and, and you, you can, can actually see what's happening. see what the hell is going on yeah. you know I um thought that the whole fight sequence within the fire hydrant scene first of all is ridiculous because there's no way that any cop force is just going to be like what's going on there oh yeah he wanted to just fight him fist to fist man to man okay we'll just let it go on it's a man's world rugged rugged yeah you just let it happen but anyway it's straight it's ripped straight from a uh, van damme movie like the the, <laughs> the whole fist to cuff thing is from like, every from van, van say every van damme movie has to end with a showery, you know, yeah, like fight. Rain. It's it's like the new Marvel thing or the new DC <laughs> thing where it's like so dark that you can't, you can't see, you can what barely the... see anything ending in finale. But uh, yeah, that was re- so. We talked about cliches again. I would say that that one is a cliche in Lethal Weapon. Oh, the fire! What about the fiery cars? Oh yeah, yeah, the cars, cars. Just you know, like de- like Death Wish. Just everything's exploding for no yeah, reason. Yeah, fi- the fiery cars too is. Definitely ripped from basically any other 80s action movie because everybody misunderstood cars in the 80s. Or the, I think people just thought it'd be cool, you know. Probably. Or maybe it's because everyone in the 70s after the Pinto 
Like, hey, you run into the back of the Pinto and the whole fucking thing goes up, you know? <laughs> so every car, you flip it over. Just... Yeah, my favorite was, like, when the uh, car that Gary Busey's driving gets shot in the front. And it just, and it just lights starts, up like a yes, tinder box. Yeah, it just starts on fire. It's like, well, <laughs> what did it hit, you know, to start it on fire? There was no, you know, f- inflammatory thing in the front. I love I, I love when after that happens, he crashes and he take, grabs the other guy's car. He's like, hey, you want to drive your Audi? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, the, like I said, the film isn't re- like super like comedic, but it does have those moments where it works in some of the comedy. <laughs> uh, and Shane Black, obviously, uh, was the writer on this one as well as in Predator. And does work in, um, you know, some of those elements of the co- same type of comedy. Um, whereas, you, like, you wouldn't say Predator is particularly comedic either. I mean, it is in the beginning. It, yeah, it, it does have its moments. Because it's, it's, it's so over the top macho. Like, yeah. Like, you know, like, um, Jesse Ventura's talking about, like, Tyrannosaurus sex cock <laughs> yeah. drive. And, yeah. and, like, you're bleeding. Can't bleed right now. I mean, yeah. it does have its moments as well, but I think, like, you know, you, you it, it does have elements of comedy, but it tones it down for a more serious overall uh, plot, especially because it involves, you know, Murdoch's daughter being abducted and basically... And uh, Mel Gibson, that, you know... Mel Gibson being tortured by a squeegee device... <laughs> That's another serious aspect. Well, and be, you know, be, like I was going to say, be literally suicidal. In the beginning, yeah. we get to see him, you know, play around putting a bullet in his uh, pistol and putting it under his chin, in his mouth, you know. Not just a regular bullet, it's a hollow point. Make sure he gets, to, you know, really dies. You yeah. Know? Make sure someone has to clean it up after. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but I think for the most part, like, unlike the rest of the films, this is a very, this is a pretty serious film. Uh, one thing that I was astounded by is that the final scene where they're trying to catch Joshua because he's the only one that gets away. Um, Mel Gibson, you know, despite the fact that he's basically a marathon sprinter, cannot <laughs> run through in. the free, all the, cannot run all the way across the LA freeway to catch Joshua in a speeding car. Um, they have to, they have to basically go back to Murdoch's house because they know that Joshua's mm. probably going back to the house to basically murder the rest of Murdoch's family. Wouldn't, <laughs> I say, wouldn't, you know, at that point, like, jig is up, cops are on. Yeah, like, Josh, just like, Josh would just be like, fuck this, I'm out. Like, yeah, it's just too like, hot, you know, and yeah, just get I'm out of a, there. That's what for, I would do. Yeah, but. former special force CIA agent. Like, yeah, no. Just, I'm out. All right, you know. But once he goes back to the house, I'm astounded that the plan was to, one, allow two cops to be murdered, <laughs> uh, as Joshua does that, and then goes into the house, and then, two, drive the police squad car into the front of Murdoch's house. Like, he's just like, sure, there's no other better solution, like hiding in the house somewhere and then jumping out. And It's like um, Home Alone, a little Kevin McAllister, like, oh, here comes the car through the... Yeah. You know. And that's the only solution, is to, like, fucking drive the car through the house. So it, I mean, it makes for a good... good uh, action piece. Action piece, yeah, set piece, but, you know, probably not... So good for the Murdoch family who has to now rebuild at the end of this movie. Good thing he's got, you know, insurance. Yeah. Hopefully. Now, talking about the action pieces, we'll compare it to Die Hard. Mm -hmm. I'll say this movie's got better, compared to Die Hard, has better action, like smaller action set pieces. However, I think where, you know, Die Hard tops it is that, like, the big one is much better than 
the big one, Lethal Weapon. You know, that whole... And by the time at the end we get to that just, like, fist fight and, you know... That, you know, comes across as cheesy and, you know... Not only that, but it's because they've already gotten the big bad guy. Yeah. Like, Joshua's, like, the small bait. Like, it really doesn't matter at this point anymore. The only thing is more so, like, in this one... um, Riggs has to prove that he's like the ultimate fighter. Yeah. Because he's always, you know, he's been the guy with, they talk about it. He's like, no, no Tai Chi and yeah, bullshit. He's got basically all of the Mar- titles under his, under his belt for uh, different types of karate. But yeah, no, like, so like the smaller bits are better, but like the climax in here, like for the, at least for the action set piece, kind of lame. Yeah. You know, like I said, like the whole fighting in the fire hydrant, kind of lame. Die hard, building bullet, you know. Top yeah. of the building blowing up and jumping up. Yeah, that's, you know. That's, that has the better climax for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, like the, I think for the most part, like the gunfights and stuff that happen in here are better than Die Hard. Die Hard is just like they kind of add more men, but I think it's, you know, more pedantic and they last a little too long because they're just, you know, shootouts. Here, like, you know, you get to see, um, you know, things like, oh, uh, uh, the guy's dead, and we're trying to lift him up. It's like, no, he's not dead. He gri- <laughs> yeah. You know, and he, gri- and he grabs, you know, Riggs' gun. He's going to shoot Murdoch, but Riggs stops him and shoots him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it does have those little moments where it's like, you saved my life, you know? You don't, you don't, you know it's going to happen. You know they're not dead, but, you know. Oh, especially at the end with Joshua, when like, oh, you know, after all that, and then he reaches, you know, they're cuffing him. And, you know, he goes for the cop's gun. They both whip around in slow motion. and Yeah, in a, in a different movie, that could have been the start of a gay romance, too, at the end. You see them both, like, you know, back-to-back <laughs> shooting uh, kind of in, in the rain, too. It's very romantic. Could have had a little bit of Red Dead Deadeye, you know, and, like, tagging. It's like, you know, like, you do, like, dueling in the original Red Dead. You get to tag them all, like, I'm going to shoot you this many times in the balls, you know. We didn't talk about the um, mystery, the the secret helicopter that comes out of nowhere to to kill Tom Atkins. No one heard, yeah, you know, no one heard a fucking no. helicopter buzzing by. Yeah, we and there's even another scene afterwards when they're meeting in the desert and the helicopter's like, you can see it like often like two miles away is coming and you can hear the the buzzing of the helicopter. But yeah, when Tom Atkins, no one hears a helicopter uh, and Mel Gibson's even outside. I think that's one of the great. Um, lies of cinema even greater than like exploding cars and stuff yeah and surviving explosions yeah. you mean the fucking tell me <laughs> like that like oh like quiet helicopters you know helicopters yeah. never being that loud have you ever like been by a helicopter yeah, those things are really fucking loud yeah you know? and, and Riggs was outside the entire time so he didn't even see it coming nothing no one's flying a helicopter that low unless they mean business um, what else? Would you, would you like, uh, what do you think of the house explosion? The house explosion, um, it reminds me, and this would be, it would have been later. A little, again. little bit of overkill, don't you think, just to take out a hooker? Yeah. Yeah, for you know, sure. I exploding mean, that, couldn't like a sat, you know, a sass, no, mer- mercury detonator, special forces do this kind of crap. It's like, oh, that's narrowing down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it it is interesting with the the house blowing up because you would think that they would have just waited for them to actually enter the building before they blew it up. I think it was set on a timer, right? But why, if you were if you were trying to take out, you know that the the cops are probably going to go back to to question this uh, prostitute because she 
even told the cops that she she saw the only what thing, happened. The only thing I can think of they was tr- trying to make it look like it's a ga- like it was a gas leak. Yeah. So it's like some LA yeah, they like were. LA noir but like you know Cole after Detective Cole Phelps gets you know uh, demoted from vice to arson he's sitting there grabbing the mercury detonator going hmm don't think this is useful. <laughs> yeah, that that is true because they did say like the gas man was there. You know, they they made it look like there was a gas man there that was checking but, the meter and stuff. Like I know, that. but if, but again, like if you're a good, um, you know, a good detective, you call like, hey, uh, right? They did too. Yeah, they so, the gas. So again, like the whole, like the whole thing is the yeah. whole whole premise is stupid. You they just couldn't really... sneak in and like you know poison her. Or, yeah, they didn't really think know. that one through. They were like, let's like make the most uh, mischief possible for this one prostitute to blow up the entire house. Um. But it did remind me a little bit of Speed. No. Yeah. Jeff Daniels. No, I know. That's why I said don't getting say Getting murdered. That's why I'm saying no. Not because it's not like Speed. No, because I don't want to think of Jeff Daniels <laughs> getting killed by a... Oh, by Dennis Hopper. Yep. Blown up. I don't know why, but every time I think of Speed, I just think of Dennis Hopper going, You know what a bomb that doesn't go off is? A cheap watch. <laughs> I love Speed. We'll have they to do that one at some point. It's a great movie. Um, do you have anything else about Lethal Weapon? I really don't have that much else to say about Lethal Weapon. Anything you can think of that we didn't cover? It's a fun movie. Um, it's very it's like mindless entertainment for the most part. So we'll go back to like the comparisons to Die Hard. Uh huh. So after all everything we kind of covered and some of the comparisons we make, why do you think Die Hard's Got a much bigger following. I mean, this movie did gangbusters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made four fucking films. Mm-hmm. They've rebooted into a TV series. I think that um, overall, Die Hard just has the more entertaining, in, like entirety of the film is more entertaining. I like the Nakatomi Plaza aspect of that. It's just set in one location. I honestly think it's nostalgia glasses. You think so? Because after we after we watched Die Hard and Die Hard Two, I was like, I like it, but I don't think it's nowhere near the greatest action movie mm. of all time. Like, that are, is true. are you seriously going to tell? Like, I, I would like to have a discussion with somebody. You're seriously going to tell me Die Hard is better than fucking Fury Road? <laughs> that it's better than Dread? I don't think it's a, the best movie ever. Um, well, no, I, not, I don't think people are saying that, but yeah. when, like they, you know, talk about action films, it was like, "Don't oh, Die Hard." I think it's. I think for myself, I like Die Hard more than Lethal Weapon. I think Lethal Weapon has a few too many downtimes, and that's. I see. I think. I think it's like a toss up for me. Mm. After watching it now, I think it's like because like there's something like I think overall the acting and characters. Are much better in this film. Mm-hmm. Literally, the only great thing acting wise when it comes to Die Hard is Reginald V. Johnson and fucking Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and I so bad I can't remember. You know, remember the goddamn guy's name that was in um, Principal in the Breakfast Club. But mm-hmm. he's always great because every he's unfortunately been typecasted as you know the stickler asshole right. and everything. But yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, like I said, the smaller action pieces are better in this than they are in Die Hard. Die Hard's got the o- better overall action set piece, you know? Yeah. The premise is much better in this, uh, I mean, in Die Hard than it is in this film. So I, I think it's a push for me. Yeah. I think it's a push. I might, 
I might give Lethal Weapon a slight edge. Sound, I mean, soundtrack's more memorable for Lethal Weapon. That's true. Literally the only thing uh, Die Hard has going for it is uh, the Run DMC song in the beginning. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I like, after we watched Die Hard as well, you know, it's not... I didn't think it was, like, amazing, but I, I do like it quite a bit just because it's set in the plaza, and I think that's one of its main attractions. But Lethal Weapon has its moments, too, and I, I think that they're both fairly good films. Um... And yeah, maybe in an alternate universe, if somebody had just latched on to Lethal Weapon a little bit more, we would have had a craze for Lethal Weapon rather than Die Hard, and it would have been the maybe. More I prominent. think it might be because Lethal Weapon after the four, uh, the fourth one, they were just done. Maybe you know they didn't. Die like, Hard has sort of lasted more because I mean, like every couple of years, like hey kids, you know, it's like in two thousand and seven, it's like hey kids, Justin Long's a part long for the game and. Live free or die hard, right. and then and they just keep bringing it back. Yeah, Lethal Weapon. They were like after four because that was four was like when it really started to like go off the rails and get ridiculous. Well, I think also Mel Gibson going off the rails True. as well probably was probably help. you know, and that might be another reason why people are really hesitant to go back to Lethal Weapon is just because it's like, do we su- still support Mel Gibson? I in in the right now, I mean, people have seen Ben. He's making a comeback. Yeah, he's basically the ben, daddy's home too, and you know. Yeah. But I mean, you can't know because you can't say that because no matter what shit Kevin Spacey did, you're not going to tell me Seven's not a great movie or, yeah. you know, uh, The Usual Suspects isn't a great movie and his acting, yeah, the shit he's done makes him a terrible person. But guess what? You know, movies he was in, they're good. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I, I think can, it was just the controversy that really didn't help Lethal Weapon 2. I know, like I said, that's years after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, Mel Gibson going off the rails. I can't really pinpoint though when Die Hard was, became like you cemented know, as yeah, cult, the, the, uh, like a really cult classic film. It, I think it had to be like around two thousand seven, mm. like after Live Free and Die Hard. And people are like, man, this isn't as good because I'm sure because it's been it had been like ten years after you know like ten fifteen years since you know the last uh, Die Hard three. So people are like, oh yeah, let's go see this Die Hard. It's gonna be great. And then they're like. Man, this thing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as good as the original. <laughs> you know, they go back and watch the original. Like, yeah, the original's a shit ton better. So. That's true. Like Maybe I said, I think I think could it's... Could have been the revitalizing of the the series that did it. Yeah, like I said, I think it's, it's just built on uh, the foundation. I don't know what you mean. Siri heard us there. I don't know what she <laughs> heard, but... Um, all right, so should we rate Lethal Weapon? Sure. All right. Um, out of 10... Terrible Christmas turkey dinners, because <laughs> Murdoch's wife can't can't cook worth a shit. Apparently, what would you give Lethal Weapon? Which is you know says something because Mel Gibson looks like he lives off nothing but cigarettes and cheap beer. True, yeah. So the fact that even like when he's getting fed a turkey meal, he has the audacity like eh, this tastes like shit. You know, yeah. <laughs> I know that's <laughs> saying something. Danny Glover, you know, Danny Glover looks like he's well fed. You know, so that he like if he skipped a meal, he'd be like. I'm fine. Yeah. You know. Um, I'll give it a seven and a half. Okay. Like I said, I I don't remember what I gave Die Hard. Um, but if I had to, you know, reanalyze it again, I'd probably say it'd be the same thing with a seven and a half. I think I might I like Lethal Weapon, uh, slightly more, mm-hmm. just because I think Danny Glover and Mel Gibson are a lot of fun. Um. As cliched as some of the stuff is and the bare bones, the overall 
plot is still a lot of fun. Tom Atkins looks like hell. Yeah, it's great. It's only just a couple of years after Halloween three, and yeah, you know, e- even though in Halloween three he looks really young for his age, here he looks like he, you know, accelerated by quite a while. I think it's kind of funny too that they um, casted Mitchell Ryan as well because they sort of look similar in this movie, and he sounds a lot like uh, he was sounding a little bit like uh, Ricardo Montalban every <laughs> time he was talking. Yeah, and he has that delightful. Um, Turtle turtleneck that he wears quite collection. A bit. He had quite the collection. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's like the only thing he wears is turtlenecks. <laughs> Must it's, that's how you know it's Christmas in L.A. Someone's yeah. walking around with a nice, you know, nice frock on. You know, but I'd give it a seven and a half. It's a lot of you know. I think it's fun. Um, it is serious, but it does have its like you know, um, comedic moments too with the interaction between uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. You get to see um, Mel Gibson's ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bare ass out there. He really... It, I think his mullet is very impressive. <laughs> Prime late 80s mullet. If you're like, going for a mullet, you better have, like, a very prominent one. Just think about, like... Just think about it. Like, who had the patience to grow a mullet out? Like, imagine if you shaved your hair. Yeah. And then you're like, fuck, I want a mullet. You gotta wait, like, a year, and a, a year and a half to grow your, like... like. Yeah, it's impressive that you put in the patience and... And uh, the effort to grow it out like that. And then, you know, groom it to keep your front short and, like, good lord. And it also sort of looked like they feathered it, too, a um, little bit. No, everyone had feathered yeah, it. Was... Danny Glover's the only one that doesn't have his hair feathered. And he's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. As I said, like, when we see all the women with, like, their fucking terrible 80s hairsprayed haircuts and this, I'm like, I'm surprised anyone got laid back then. Like, just looking at it, it's like, oh. Yeah, you those ever, are the uh, prostitutes you're paying to get laid. No, even like no, even the ones like in the police stations. Oh, stuff, like, yeah. like the doc, like her hair is terrible too. It's like it's amazing. I, I thought I feel like everyone would just be looking at themselves and like, oh, you all look like look terrible. Everyone looks like crap. You know? It was the the, the look, yeah, yeah the know. aura of the time. You just you never, you didn't even recognize. They it. didn't have Bon Jovi's greatest hits back yeah. then. They just had the albums. That's right. But um, I give it a seven and a half. I think it's fun. Um, and it's interesting. Um, I will say one thing I don't like about it is the fact that it's a buddy cop movie. Because to be honest with you, I don't really care for buddy cop movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole, um, the old, you know, the old gruff bastard who just wants to be left alone and I don't want a partner and I got the young upstart and like that kind of dynamic. It just doesn't really work, you know, yeah, work for me, but. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are charismatic enough to that's true pull through with it because you can almost think Die Hard's kind of a buddy cop movie in the sense that between when you had the constant talkings between you know, Bruce Willis and Reginald B. Johnson yeah um yeah, he's just sort of he's a... just not in Nakatomi Plaza with him um but you know the interaction they have too is like that and even though that's one of the stronger points I think the fact that they're distant uh, you know not in the same building is what. Makes that stronger. Because mm-hmm. it's just imagine Reginald V. Johnson running around with Twinkies and the Nakatomi Plaza with Bruce Willis. And yeah. Like, I don't know if I can do that, but, you know. I would give um, Lethal Weapon probably, I would give it a seven. Um, I think it's a pretty fun movie. The only thing is that I found that I have a, I had a really hard time, like, talking about anything in particular because nothing, not a lot of it stands out as being anything, like, super um i don't know surprising 
It's it's very and that that may be because we're just so used to movies like this now that they've there's been so many prominent movies of like buddy cop movies and action movies that this one feels generic and it really wasn't for the time. Um, but to me, it is like a very generic, stereotypical '80s action film. Uh, it does that pretty well, except for maybe the plot itself, which could have used a little bit of work and and um, expanding it a little bit more than just like the overshadowing war. <laughs> as as basically every description of you know what's going on and why the bad guys are bad and why the good guys are good. But uh, other than that, I thought it was really good. I think Danny Glover and Mel Gibson have a good chemistry and um, they work pretty well together. And you know, other than that, it's um, it got some good action scenes. The fight sequence is at least well choreographed, if not maybe as climactic as one would hope for the end sequence. But uh, you know, it's it's a really fun, and I would say probably like right now, like above average action film for the eighties. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we are going to be back next week with one more episode for we'll call it the Festivus series. We haven't really picked out what we're going to do yet, um, and it's going to be the day after. It'll be <laughs> after Christmas, obviously, but there will be it'll be something. Maybe we'll find uh, another Christmas movie to do. Maybe we'll find a, a New Year's movie to do. Who knows? Still up in the air. Seriously, if anyone wants to argue with me about Die Hard being the greatest action movie, please. Go for it, yeah. Send her a message. That's right. We have a, an email account, <laughs> bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com, where you can email us about it. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. We're on Twitter at bloodandblackrum. Uh, we're on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. You can leave us a review and uh, subscribe to us. We appreciate that. And then, as always, you can uh, donate to us on our Patreon page at bloodandblackrumpodcast.podbean.com. Um, that is where you can donate even just a dollar to help us each month. Uh, we really appreciate anything that you can help out with keeping our podcast on the air. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with one last Festivus episode after Christmas. But we hope you have a very Merry Christmas uh, coming up. Thanks for listening. Take care.